Good morning, friends. It's good to be with you, good to worship with you, even on this, this dreary, rainy day, um, because today we get to celebrate World Communion Sunday. Uh, today, we're also beginning a new uh, sermon series, or let's just call it a mini-series. It'll just be today and next Sunday. And it's a series where we'll focus on two types of prayer in the Christian life that might be a little problematic. Now, I want to preface this with saying that God wants us to pray. No matter what we're thinking about, even if what we want or what we're asking for is a little problematic. So this week and next what we'll be doing is exploring two types of prayer that may not be the most helpful in our faith journeys. And see how Jesus seeks these prayers, these these ways of talking to God out, and helps us redirect these prayers into ones that might deepen our relationship with God and also with one another. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 17th chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with the first verse. Excuse me, the fifth verse. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. The Lord replied, If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Would any of you say to your servant who had just come in from the field after plowing or tending sheep, Come, sit down for dinner? Wouldn't you say instead, Fix my dinner? Put on the clothes of a table servant and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you can eat and drink. You won't thank the servant because the servant did what you asked, will you? In the same way, when you have done everything required of you, you should say, we servants deserve no special praise. We have only done our duty. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. As a kid who grew up in the 80s and 90s, I, like many of my peers, was obsessed with pro basketball, in particular the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. We all wanted to be just like him and Scottie Pippen and all those guys. We wanted to play like them. We wanted to dunk the basketball like them. We wanted to shoot like him. We wanted to have his swagger and confidence. We thought that if we had their shoes, or at least was a little bit taller, I thought maybe I could run a little faster, jump a little higher, and play ball like Mike or any of those great NBA superstars of that era or any era. So like many of my peers, I got the shoes, and eventually I did get a little bit taller, but not that much taller, mind you. But neither the shoes height, or anything else ever helped me become even a remotely respectable basketball player. This is just my silly example, granted, but I'm sure each of us has um, our own experience of this. This kind of mindset really does start in childhood, doesn't it? If only I were a little bit older, if only I were a little bit taller, stronger, then Everything would be better. Everything would be easier. In adulthood, it quickly turns to, if only I had that next pay raise or promotion. If only I had a little bigger home or the next new shiny thing. 
then everything would be so much better. I would be set. We often think we need more of something or better of something in order to solve all of our problems. It's no surprise that eventually this kind of thinking will make its way into our faith life as well. This is exactly where we meet Jesus and the disciples in Luke's gospel this week. After the challenging parables about wealth we explored in the previous chapter in Luke, Jesus now turns to the issue of sin and forgiveness just before our reading today. He teaches that we should forgive someone seven times if they keep turning back and repenting. Seven, of course, is one of those magic, complete, whole numbers in the Bible. So really, Jesus is telling them to forgive someone indefinitely, completely, without limit. This baffles the disciples as it continues to baffle us today. They just can't get it. So they ask, God bless them, Lord, increase our faith. Give us more. Give us more faith. Maybe if we had more faith, we could understand all this stuff you're trying to tell us. Maybe more faith would allow us to do the unthinkable of forgiving our neighbor sevenfold. Maybe more faith would allow us to have your power to heal and teach. I'm willing to guess all of us have asked this prayer before. God, just give me more faith. No, I have. In the face of the storms of life, literally and figuratively, it's not surprising that we think more faith could be the solution we need to confront a crisis. So often we hope that more faith will allow us to see our troubles differently, that maybe our faith will give us the power to overcome the bad things that happen in life. Televangelists and others from the prosperity gospel movement echo this phrase constantly, falsely believing that if they and their congregants simply had more faith, they could do anything. They could amass more wealth. They could avoid tragedy. They could be as happy as can be. I think as part of human nature, we all want this to be true. We want faith to be something that we can control, that we can get more of, thereby gaining power over it and understanding. We want faith to be an asset or a trait that we can accumulate and grow. Jesus, in our passage, confronts this idea head on and helps to reframe the idea of faith completely for his disciples and all of us as well. He responds to the apostles' plea for more faith in true Jesus fashion by telling a parable, or really two, two short parables here. And each one shows the apostles and us that faith is not a matter of how much, faith is a matter of so that. It's about function rather than quantity. Instead of asking how much faith do I need, Jesus flips the question to ask what does faith do? for the believer, as well as the community. The first parable is of the mustard seed. Jesus tells them that if they had faith the size of this teeny, tiny, little mustard seed, they could command a large tree, 
with the complex root system to be uprooted and thrown into the sea. We often read this as if Jesus is scolding the apostles here, assuming that Jesus is telling them that they didn't even have faith the size of a mustard seed. This is a little misreading. I don't think this is a scolding. Rather, these are comforting words. The apostles worry that they don't possess the faith needed to show and embody Christ's own forgiveness, so they ask for more. Jesus tells them this parable to to assure them that the faith they already possess can do truly powerful and wonderful things, that they already have plenty of it. Jesus isn't scolding them, he's empowering them to use their God-given faith to live into the kingdom, to proclaim the gospel and embody Christ's forgiveness that is needed to form and sustain community. What a comforting image of our Savior. He doesn't tell them that they need more faith, but rather to trust in the faith God has already given them. Instead of how much faith, it's faith so that so that we can trust in God's power and love and the good and bad of life alike, that we can live into God's kingdom of reconciliation and forgiveness here and now with the faith we already possess, that's already within us. The second parable Jesus poses is a bit of a rhetorical question but a landowner who calls his servant in after a long day in the field. He says, you wouldn't invite the servant to your table and give him a meal. Instead, you'd tell him to serve you dinner and then eat later. It's an odd and difficult image for us to grasp in a number of ways, not the least of which being um, as Americans with the troubled history of slavery. But here, Jesus is using a familiar first century institution, not as an opportunity to make commentary on it, but rather, like many parables, using this familiar institution to make a point about faith. He says, the servant doesn't expect praise for doing his job, so too, when we serve God out of faith, we do so without the expectation or recognition. You see, the disciples are asking for more faith because they think having more faith will give them more power, more notoriety, more ability to do Jesus-like things. To them, faith has become an asset like any other in our economy. But Jesus reminds them that faith is not something that can be used to gain advantage over a neighbor. Faith is not an asset which can appreciate and value. Faith isn't even quantifiable in any way. Again, Jesus flips the question. Instead of how much faith, it's faith so that. Faith so that we can trust in God's goodness and love. Instead of praying for more faith, Jesus encourages us to trust in the faith God has already given us to make sense of this crazy world around us, and to respond in a way which shines God's light to others. 
And friends, God continues to provide us this kind of encouragement in our journeys of faith, to trust in the faith that we have already been given throughout our Christian lives. And the places where we see this clearest is in our weekly worship service, particularly when we celebrate our two sacraments. Because here, friends, at the font where we celebrate that someone has been cleansed and claimed as a child of God in these waters, we also celebrate the gift of God's spirit within us, the gift of faith that's been placed within us by God's own love, by God's own spirit. Whenever we celebrate the sacrament, whenever we even put water in it and and are reminded of our forgiveness, we are reminded of the faith God has instilled in each of us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And also, unlike the parabolic landowner, our Lord and Savior, who we trust, who we follow, who we serve, always invites us to the table to eat. Remembering that God continues to give us what we need, our daily bread for life, we're reminded that God feeds us throughout our lives, giving us the faith that we need to to encounter anything life happens to throw our way. As we're fed, as we're nourished by this feast that God has prepared for us, we are sent out to feed others in his name. And because it's World Communion Sunday, we not only remember that God feeds us here, that God gives us what we need in the life of faith, but we also remember that God gives us something else, one another, Because every time we gather at this table, we remember that we gather here not just ourselves, not just our household, not just our congregation, not just the Presbyterian Church, but all who trust in Christ as Lord and Savior of every time and place. We gather at this table together. And on World Communion Sunday, we celebrate that we are doing so with Christians throughout the world. It's here in this act that we're reminded that God not only gives us the faith that we need, but God gives us one another so that together we can navigate this crazy, uncertain world and live the life of faith together that all may know God's love, God's grace, God's mercy. So we prepare for the feast, friends. Let us be confident in the faith God has instilled in each of us through the Spirit. Amen.